0: Hey everyone, Andres here. Welcome to another episode of the Ponytails Podcast. If this is your first episode, welcome, welcome. Thank you for being here. I'll do a quick explanation of what we do. We interview people who sold books with a company called Southwestern Advantage during their college internship summers. So basically they go door to door for 80 hours a week on straight commission with no place to live across the country, selling these educational books to help families with homework. They've been doing this since 1868. And so, as you can imagine, there's a ton of people who have done this over the years. And so we get to talk to them and hear what they're up to now. Some people we've had on the show who are doing all sorts of different things. We've had, uh, people who rock climb uh, for a living. We've had people who are college professors. We've had people who do, uh, aviation and technology. They're working in AI, AI. they're stand-up comedians. A variety. So, hopefully, you guys enjoy uh, what we have here for you today. Um, my guest is Todd Ballinger. He is originally from Gastonia, North Carolina, just outside of Charlotte. He went to the University of uh, Carolina in Chapel Hill, uh, sold for seven summers from 1985 to 1992. Um, and his favorite scroll from Ogmandino, which was kind of like the book that we read at the time to motivate ourselves during the summer, is number five. I will live this day as if it is my last, one of our favorites, of course, here at the show as well. Hopefully you guys enjoy. Make sure you guys check us out on all the socials. And when I come back, I'll be on with Todd. Hello, hello. Hello. How's it going? Thanks for being here. This is so exciting.
1: You know, after hearing that intro, I I started thinking this could stir up one of my recurring dreams. I had two recurring dreams. One that I didn't graduate from college, and the other one that was that I was still in the book field. And <laughs> it's taken me 20 years to work through both of those. So uh if I start having either of those dreams again, I'm I'm coming for you, man.
0: <laughs> you know, it's fair. We have, uh, we, you know, it's shared trauma is what really brings us together, but emphasis I, I on the word this, trauma. I,
1: I just assumed this was a therapy session and I'm excited <laughs> about it.
0: It has been, you have no idea how much of my Southwestern daddy issues I've gotten rid of because Good. of this podcast, 192 episodes. I'm feeling enlightened. You got about 900 to go. You'll probably be fine. <laughs> oh, it's, you know, I'm not going to say that you're, um, I should probably say you're, you're, you're tied for our favorite Todd that we've had on the show. Oh, wow. Favorite Todd.
1: All right. Well, I, I, (laughs) am I'm happy with given, given the the Todd quality that I've heard on this podcast with my I I'm happy to be in that company.
0: It's top shelf. It's top shelf for sure. (laughs) But yeah, thank you for being here. Oh man. I, I can't believe that this is what we get to do for work here on the show, but uh, let's dig in. Let's dive in. Um, as always we'd like to start with what you're up to now and you know how has your life been i know there's like 30 years that you have to cover since 92 and 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 that journey of leaving southwestern but uh what are you up to now and how did you how did you get how did you find yourself here
1: wow let's see today uh i am actually working at my alma mater the university of north carolina teach uh some I'm in the business school, uh, work with the honors program there, about 2000 students that, uh, high achieving intellectually curious, uh, souls. And we develop content and curriculum to, to teach them about how to prepare for life. And I usually have three to five side hustles that I'm working on. Just things I'm curious about right now. We're doing, um, I have a coaching training business, development business, uh, you know, invest in uh, various startups. Uh, We've got a dark fiber company laying fiber from Myrtle Beach to Atlanta. We've got, uh, let's see, um, a company that's doing kind of AI-based calling uh, that we're working on right now. So I I like to have, but they keep me sort of energized and and excited about what's going on in the world. So always have a couple of, you know, projects going on that are interesting. So... But I guess uh, out of college, if I work backwards to how I got to here, uh, after my book career, started a financial services company, did that for two or three years, um, transitioned into mortgage lending, um, Mm -hmm. which I found kind of interesting. So we transitioned our financial planning business into a mortgage company. We grew that uh, over about seven, eight years to be, um, we were the largest independent mortgage company. Broker in North Carolina. And then uh, we had the good fortune of connecting with some other people and we took that public in 1999. It was called mortgage.com. So we rolled up with five other companies into a NASDAQ IPO with um, a group. And then uh, we sold that to Citibank three years later and then started another company doing consulting. Uh, It was just uh, bank and development consulting. And we, Built that consulting business up and sold it to a company in New Jersey called PHH, which was a you know um, financial services company that was sort of in the mortgage lending uh, space. And we ran that for like three to five years, left, started a, a software company because I was interested in technology. Um, sold that to a com- another company in New Jersey, in Red Bank, and a private equity firm in Maryland. So then we worked with them and wow. acquired some other companies and sold them. And uh, then I decided I wanted to kind of go back to something I really enjoyed, which was working with young people. You know, something I, it was probably the thing I love most about Southwestern was coaching and training and developing young people. And students are, you know, they're kind of going through a birth canal from parents to life. And it's the really world. interesting. Yeah. yeah, yeah, it's an interesting time. So, uh, so I've spent the last five years at UNC working on an initiative that um is designed to kind of rethink the way we prepare college students for life after college not the academic side uh i think you know universities do a good job with that but because they are so academic they don't think a lot about what it takes to prepare someone for life and work when 50 percent of the jobs aren't going to don't even exist when they start these days because there's so many jobs coming on with ai and robotics and things like that and how do you prepare for that so it's been a lot of fun um
0: great group of people and you know, yeah, support. that's, that's phenomenal. Okay. So I have so many questions. I hope it's okay if I pick your brain, <laughs> Sure. that's amazing. So I, I kind of want to start this backwards and then, yeah, I think this would be helpful. So as a person listening in, the first thing I wanted to ask you about is so you're teaching business, business development, you're, you're talking to students about this when it, when it comes to like the curriculum versus what you learned as a college kid yourself. And what, you know, what we know book people are kind of learning through that experience. Where are some of the overlaps? So you're like, these, these are things you can learn both in a classroom and in like the book field. And then where are some things that maybe, whoa, this is not like, even though we're teaching business theory or business here, the, there's something about the book field that you can't get anywhere else. Can you, can you shed some light on what maybe that those differences are?
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. Um... There are companies like Strata that have done a lot of work around the college experience and how students value the experience. And it's, it's really interesting because when you look back on the things they value and how they value their time in college, there are a couple of things that if this happens, they value college in a completely different way. And one of them is finding a mentor of any kind, uh, a college student that finds a mentor during their four years will value their college experience four to six times greater than than a student that graduates without ever finding say a mentor. Um, A a project, a meaningful project, um, real work of some kind. And that can be an internship. It can be uh, something that um, they create for themselves. They study abroad is an example of where that often happens. But what's really interesting to me when I first looked at that is these were all largely experiential uh, dynamics that the experience of being in a classroom is really wonderful because you learn things, but, you know, when I look back on Southwestern, you know, I, I kind of, I got my degree from UNC, but I got my education, you know, on the book field because I was forced to, uh, to learn a lot of skills and a lot of things that were very transferable uh, down the road. So the stuff that we're trying to do is more direct experience oriented. You could, you could call it, you know, um, Uh, preparing for work, preparing for life, you know, and it's tactical stuff, but a lot of it is just, you know, how do you get someone, how do you role play uh, walking into a room and seeing everyone with their backs turned to you in little circles? How do you, how do you, how do you learn to do that? Tap on a shoulder, get into a group, or do you stand there by yourself? And so, you know, but again, Southwestern Mm -hmm. was the ultimate experiential learning, you know, and it, it checked a lot of those boxes because you had a mentor, you had, people that you worked with very intensely. It was meaningful work, you were paid well for it for the work that you did. And yeah, so
0: and do, do you take any so the stuff that you learned from that experience? How are you applying or what what out of that are you applying to it? To the curriculum that you're building out with these students? I guess
1: <laughs> I, I was sitting with a student yesterday who wanted to get a job in investment banking. And we were talking about uh, pre approach and approaching <laughs> and stuff. And so, uh, you know, I can, I can still do my sales talk in my sleep. Again, that's why I worry about the dream starting back. But, you know, pre-approach, approach, intro, demo. I mean, I use that all the time as a framework just yeah. because it's a language that we know and we can impart it to some, a student to say, what do you know about this person? Why Why do you want to go work for that company or that person? That's pre-approach. And then how are you going to approach them? Is it going to be a letter? Is it going to be a phone call? Is it going to be a this and that? And how are you going to introduce yourself in a way that's really interesting and compelling? And then when you're, you know, the interview is the demo, right? That's your personal uh, demo. But they've already bought you if they're taking the time to interview you. They're not doing it because they're bored. So, you, you, know, you, you know, people buy you in the pre-approach, the approach in the intro, and then the demos where they get the conviction, and then you got to close for an internship or an opportunity. And, and, and if you're bold enough and you'll do that, they'll respect that in a way that might get you an opportunity, a job. But these, it's not just jobs. It's it's uh, it's very competitive uh, at the student world these days when it comes to um, scholarships and uh, opportunities on campus and even getting into you know, clubs i mean you know if you want to join a fraternity or sorority right there's still a process of you're yeah. still you gotta why do, why do you want to go to that fraternity and and uh, who, who do you know there and and you know it's the same dynamic so i think that that sales framework is something that has stayed with me and been very very useful especially at scale because it, it scales pretty nicely.
0: yeah i can imagine and that's and that's cool uh i mean it's great that you're teaching your students that it's great that 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 these these kids are being exposed to that even though they didn't get to sell cuz that is something i mean i had a friend who was doing an internship um he already graduated so it's not an internship but it's like a sales acceleration course thing sure. and he's going to travel to whatever but one of one of the it was expensive crazy but one of the weeks they had him go door to door to sell a product and it was like a can opener or something and he calls me he goes dude I have to go door to door. I've never tried to sell anything in my life. This is why I want to do this program. Can you give me any pointers? And I said, first go try out by yourself and see what you learn and use what they taught you to be coachable, right? But then if you're still struggling, just call me. And he calls me and I gave him pre approach. I gave him how to do pre approach. Just like knocking, hey, this house next door, should I skip them? Like just the basic stuff that we learned. And it was as if his brain just exploded. (laughs) He didn't know what to do with all that. It is. It's a
1: frame, you know, you give them a framework and they can build on that framework, but absent the framework, it's kind of like, they're just, they're floundering. There's no, there's no vocabulary there to work off on. Of.
0: Yeah. So then as you, as you look at the, what you're teaching, what, what do you think are some of the gaps that are still missing in the curriculum side? of? Because I, in my head, I think and where this question is coming from is the business school where I went to school, University of Nebraska-Lincoln. I graduated with an econ degree from there, yada, yada, yada. I would talk to, being an econ major, I would talk to a lot of business majors and oftentimes I would notice gaps in, I mean, they would know a lot of things about business, right? What an IPO is, you know, your, your, you know, acquisition costs, all these other like fancy words, which are important in business to know. But the other aspect that I had learned from Southwestern, they still seem to have that gap. And I mean, I don't know, that was six years ago, but do you notice some of these gaps? And I guess what, what are some of those gaps that you think Uh, exists still within between curriculum and and experience?
1: Well, the the, the biggest gap, and this is a particular program that we've we've created, it's called Come Here, Go Anywhere. And the idea is if you'll come here, work with us for four years, we'll prepare you to go anywhere. How do you do that? The the gaps that we're focused on are, um, you know, presentation skills, communication skills, um, you know, resume, LinkedIn, uh, learning to play sort of the game. I mean, even understanding uh, you know, pie metrics and algorithms and things that are being used now in the selection process. I mean, you know, LinkedIn is a gorilla uh, out there and they're growing very rapidly. And and these large um, technology companies are trying to, you know, solve for a pain uh, that, and that is how do you find quality talent? And so some of this is learning to play the game. But a lot of this at the same level is just, you know, a lot of students, I, I see them, they graduate and they're trying to find a job and they'll send me a resume and you're just like pulling your hair out, looking at it going, I mean, you know, you don't, you don't put, you know, squiggly lines and you don't, this format is not right. And just getting them into, you know, a a sort of a format where they're confident that they can put their best foot forward is really key. And then we're big into experience, you know, starting your first year, you know, you, you really, you're, you're just like, you know, I use the paperclip, you know, analogy of you know you, you start with a paper clip and you try to trade your way up to a yeah. car right so you can go lifeguard or do something your first summer that's not um that's fun but the problem is when you go to the next summer and this is it's kind of sad how competitive this stuff's gotten but you know if you were a lifeguard or you did this or that and the other kid you know did this they've got more experience they have more to offer that employer and they're going to compound and that growth is going to happen uh, faster for them and if you miss out there then the the third year becomes even harder right so uh, getting out and getting started with experiential learning very early in the process and developing mentors i'm a big fan of uh something called the personal advisory board which we you know our goal is to connect them with 10 alumni in their area of interest before they graduate as like an advisory board that anytime they have a question if i'm thinking about going to healthcare. I want to have four or five doctors, you know, and four or five people that work at Humana and places like that that are alumni that I can reach out and call and ask questions and and get advice from. And maybe can I send you my resume and take a quick look or would you look at my cover letter for this opportunity? That, again, gets them used to talking to adults, you know, in a a different way. And so I think that's the big stuff is it's a lot of the experiential stuff because, you know, we all know most professors. Uh, uh, it, it's rare to have a professor teach something that they've actually done. It's usually academic and theoretical. Yeah, you know, and and that so there's a, a little bit of resonance that's missing when you know you know if you're a professor and you say, hey, this is what it's like to start a business, and you've never started a business. Yes. And having a professor say this is what it's like to start a business, and they've started five businesses, right? It's it's yeah. it's the same words, but they just carry different gravitas, I think, with the student yeah. in terms of a little the little more
0: capacity. authority. Hey guys, hope you're enjoying the episode so far. I know I am. I wanted to give a quick shout out to the people that make this show possible, the people that bring this show to you. Uh, These are people who all sold books and we're here to give a quick shout out to them in a spotlight. Uh, about their company and what they're up to. So if you're interested or if after listening to this, you're kind of wanting to know a little bit more, feel free to click on the links below to connect with these people. Uh, These are from an excerpt I have with them from a podcast that I do on the side. It's called Executive Exercises, where we take all our sponsors and they come into a think tank and share some awesome ideas about how to grow their business specifically on different topics. Go check that out. But I pulled some of the comments that they had explaining what they do and who they're looking for on their companies. And so if that sounds like you, like I said, click below. Hope you enjoy. So that's, yeah. And so, so money wise, and it just seemed like it was going to be, the leads, which I wanted to go back to that because you mentioned this. And that's another thing that maybe Southwestern people don't understand is leads. And that's kind of like you're saying. Basically, imagine you show up to a town to sell books. You send a postcard out to every single family that has kids in school or young children, asking them if they struggle with any of the following subjects yes or no. <laughs> would you be interested? In, would you be interested in hearing about a product product that might help you with? all those subjects, yes or no, name and address. And then you just waited at your HQ for like a couple of weeks. And then you got in the mail, like 700 people returning that postcard saying, come to my house. Here's where I live. (laughs) Hi, are you the mom of the house? Yes. And you've heard of you.
2: Great. Yeah. Is this your handwriting Miss Betty? Yeah, that's my handwriting. You got a few minutes. It's again, you're not selling every single lead that you sit down with, but the leads is kind of what interested me because that that kind of anxiety feeling that I talked about at Southwestern yeah. and the anxiety I had with Family Heritage, I honestly didn't think that was going to go away, but it it has. It's It's gone away when I sold. You know, I still had a little bit of anxiety, but after that first knock, it goes away, but much less anxiety every week because I knew oh, I have fresh leads coming in. And so even if this day doesn't work out, I know I got Typically our agents will get anywhere from twenty five to fifty leads a week of people that they can go and, and call on.
0: I want people to understand what it is that you do, how you do it, why you do it, all of the good stuff. You hear a lot about coaching, you hear a lot about life coach, sales coach, business coach, yada yada coach, 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 coach.
3: Man, I think just to start off, like what it isn't, it's not training. It's not showing up and yeah. having somebody talk at you for 45 minutes to an hour. And like the way that I look at it is we're all human beings, we're all broken in some capacity. And we all know a lot of the people that I work with, they know what they're supposed to be doing. They're just not executing on it or they're not doing it as intentionally as they should be. Um, or they're, they're just not focused. They have like 15 different goals or 15 different things that they're trying to balance or do. And because of that, like, they're not as intentional as they should be at home or they're not as intentional as they should be at work and they're not picking up the phone and calling people. And it's like it's like having a personal trainer for your, your business. It's having intention on why we do what we do every day and creating clarity and helping to build our lives and our calendars around what our future goals and intentions
0: are. That'll do for now. Like I said, make sure you click below to get some more information. And now back to the show. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. A little more authority, and actually, I was I was just going to point that out, which is kind of where I was heading with my next few questions. Because I do remember thinking, you know, when I was trying to recruit college kids, and they say, "Well, my business professor," I'm like, "Has your business professor like ran a business, opened entrepreneur life? Right? You just crank it, just worry about your marriage because the finances are kind of scary, or whatever. You know, gone through it, figured it out, sold it, IPO. Like you." and very few i mean i'm not saying that no none of them but you know it's rare to find something like that i feel like at least where i went to school and so just to have that be on your on your background and in your tool belt to be able to say actually no i this is what i did is such a stronger yeah there's just a lot more uh, strength to that to that message that's really cool that's awesome. Um, so on that same note, let's walk through what that journey looks like for you because you've done it five times. It sounds like, right? You sold, you started and sold five businesses. Started twelve, have sold four. Oh, great. So yeah, so let's. For, and maybe I'm asking even as a personal thing. I we turned this thing into an LLC, small little humble podcasting business. Um, so first off. To to you, what are some of the more common mistakes that maybe you made or you've seen other people make when they're starting out, one like year into their you know into their entrepreneurial life? What what should we avoid, and you know do's and don'ts that you can just off the top of your head?
1: Um. So uh, one of the most important things is to you know how and we were talking about the 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 you know the sales process pre approach approach. That, that's an operating system, it, it's a framework. And if you may have a better one, and if you have a better one, we can use yours. If you don't have a better one, we can use mine. But immediately the goal with most organizations is to get into congruence. And most companies tend to start with, you know, if it's just you, right? Your your everything, your sales, your marketing, your operations, your HR, you're the whole nine yards. Um, you have to get those, establish an operating system that you yourself will follow so that as you grow a second employee or a third or fourth, um, that operating system becomes, uh, you know, core culturally to how the business operates. And then it can grow and scale very quickly. Because for most, like, you know, most businesses to me are, I like selling things. So, you know, for me, the idea of building a business and, give it to my kids is the last thing i want to do i want to build it and sell it and build it and sell it because that's just it's a fun you know it, it's it's like a process um and some people like to you know build them and hold on to them forever but still if if are you a mac or pc person mac okay uh and you mentioned uh, who, do you have any other partners in your business
0: it's just me just i mean i have P- i have a team that i that i have working for me a team of four but from an ownership standpoint it's just me
1: okay imagine the first person that you hired uh, was a PC person, right? And you sat down and you started working together. Immediately, there are going to be some challenges because they're using a PC and you're using a Mac. Now, imagine you swap your PC and Mac and you both have to work using those devices going forward. You would eventually figure it out, but it'd be frustrating as hell and it would take you a lot of time and energy That's like kind of like what happens when you hire a new employee. Every time you bring a new person in and when you're scaling or growing a business, uh, everyone's switching their laptops around because there's a new operating system. And I'm talking about, you know, the operating system up here that's coming in and being utilized. And if people don't know what the rules are, they'll immediately make up their own rules. And so Mm -hmm. the entrepreneur, if it's if it's a solo entrepreneur starting out, you've got to define a very tight set of operating rules for yourself. And. It's for you, but it's also so that as people come in, not just people that work for you, but vendors, partners, people that you associate with, you have sponsors, use real clarity around your value proposition, what you do, because that operating system is is really, really, you know, kind of tight. Um, mm. And to the extent you have loose people, you can have, you need tighter operating systems. If you have tight people, you can have looser operating systems. But this operating system, it's, it's think of it as a common vocabulary. And- you know, they're, they're, you know, there's the E-Myth, which is a great book. Um, if you've never read that, there's a book called The Goal. These are process-oriented sort of uh, books, but the, the key is what's your operating system and does everybody have something that they're all if, – because if you do, you can grow and scale very, very quickly. If you don't, I find most businesses that have not scaled the way they want to scale – It's because they really have lots of people doing lots of different businesses in the name of one business, but they're not really communicating. They really aren't clear about the future, the brighter future that they're working towards and how they're going to get there and that kind of a thing. And that's where you're trying to get everyone to say, all right, this is our operating system. This is how we're going to work together. These are the rules. It's like gaming. If you think of yourself in a simulation, right, you know, if you go play Fortnite or some other game, you're kind of suspending the laws of, normal life to go play a game. Otherwise it wouldn't be any fun. Well, I think of businesses like that. I'm like, okay, you guys got to decide what what's the game you're playing podcasting. What are the rules that we're going to play this game by? And those could be hours. It could be, you know, all the, and you get really clear on sort of when I'm playing this game, this is what this sort of looks like. Um, and then it helps other people to understand how to come play the game with you effectively.
0: Oof, that's gold, right? Well, this has been a great episode. That's so good. The I I read a book called Well I mostly read the book called Scaling Up. Um, it's some, but they talked about something like this where it's just like if you the best way to scale is to just be replicable, like kind of like uh, uh, RNA or MR, yep. you know like your DNA, yep. where it's like this is how you copy it. There's going to be mutations every once in a while. Those are mistakes people make. But from the standpoint of like, this is a carbon copy. This is how we do it here. And that's something Southwestern did really well, for example, is yeah. you knock on your door, you step back three times, you smile, you talk low and slow. This is like, and if you fall to a T, you'll be a top first year or whatever. Um, that's how you scale. Wow, that's amazing. Really, really good stuff. Thank you so much for sharing that. Okay. The, in your opinion, is there, as you were moving with these businesses and as as they started improving and increasing, um, what role I'm, I'm curious to hear, cause you started a business like right after you got done selling books in 93, 94, and then you started businesses, you know, much more into the technology age, I guess, if you want to call it that, what are some of the, some of the, uh, challenges? Cause you're getting into AI, this is like cutting edge stuff. How are, how have you adapted to being able to roll with the way the technology is evolving so quickly from a standpoint of starting a business? Cause I feel like that's, that's really impressive.
1: Uh, Well, uh, you know, you learn this the hard way, but, you know, the market is always right. Um, And it's because it's the market. It's bigger than me and anyone else, even groups of people. So you simply ask, what does the market want right now? And if you want to be right, you align with with the market. Right. And so anytime I was doing something I thought was a good idea and I was working hard at it and I wasn't being rewarded, AKA, you know, there were just lots of obstacles or impedances. It's not that you don't go around them, you know, if you can or you work through them when you can. But you also you got to be, you know, pig headed enough, but also smart enough to say, all right, this isn't what the market wants right now from me or from, I guess, the market. So. I find the market is, it's pretty clear. It tells you what it wants, right? You know, and, and so you just keep listening to what the market may need at any particular time to the best of your ability. And then you engage that. And then you you uh, you look for the places where you're, you know, you're I call them taps, but you're rewarded in some way through, gosh, I started thinking about this. And then two days later, I met a guy who was doing this. And then three days later, you know, this article popped up about, this I'm like that's it that's that's telling me that okay there's something here that's sort of pulling me in this path and there's a market there, or I'm struggling I keep trying to figure out how to make this work it's not working yada 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 I'm like okay that this is this is not it so there's a sort of a sensitivity I think you build up over time from just beating your head against the wall, <laughs> um, but the, you know right now I mean you know AI is solving uh, I've been really fascinated by it the last three four months I've gotten really into all the different tools and technologies and how they can be used and applied. And um, I'm like, okay, why is this so exciting to people? Right? So it's always kind of looking at, there's the technical aspect of what's happening and then they're stepping back and going, why why do people, you know, why are people excited about this? I brought up in a meeting the other day and half the people said, this is so exciting. Half the people said, this is terrifying. And I'm like, wow, that's interesting. I mean, Fear and greed are two of the biggest motivators in the world. And they were both there. You know, the, 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 the excitement was, yeah. the excitement was like, yeah. I can get stuff done in half the time. I'm, You know, uh, I sat down with my daughter the other night. We were at dinner and she started talking about chat GPT and, and yeah. the tools she's using, right? And how she's using them. And, and she's like, you know, do you think this is okay? And I'm like, kid, if you think you're going to go into a library 10, 20 years from now, then you know cuz that's the equivalent right of going back and researching the way she's using it is she's doing she's using ai to do research she's pulling that research back she's figuring out what of the research she likes she's dropping that into quillbot then it rewrites and paraphrases she pulls it back she then edits it based on the you know the teacher's questions that she's asking then she runs it through a plagiarism checker to make sure that nothing that she's created or used is going to flag you thing Then she she's had a three step process she's come up with. And I didn't even know she was interested in this stuff. But I'm like, again, the kids are figuring this out at a very early age. And the bar gets elevated because it's not how good a writer are you anymore? It's can you use a tool that makes you an eloquent writer? Right. And you still got to have the ideas, but you're suddenly lifting the bar on populations of of people We can lead to really cool stuff and finance and you know, I like the value proposition that it starts to eliminate a lot of the menial tasks and things that I would do otherwise. Uh, I've used it three times today for a, a blog post. I had it write a an apology letter to someone for something that that happened. And it wrote <laughs> an incredible letter. And I probably edited six or seven words and changed the names. And it was beautifully written. And someone can say, well, that seems like cheating. I'm like, it's a beautifully written letter. It, it. I, I wouldn't have taken the time to put together the framework and the level. All I had to do was substitute the issue, right? And, 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 and I was sincerely sorry it happened. It wasn't my fault. But hey, I still am the one that needed to write that letter for that particular situation. And sending it out, I was like, man, I felt good about the letter, because in, so- in literally ninety seconds, I provided something that i think you know and i got a great response back from the person now if they were listening to this podcast would they feel slighted that i used ai to craft an apology letter i I got the i got the i got the work done it just saved me 20 minutes of my life you know And, and that happens a lot yeah
0: that's kind of and just for in case um in case people don't, I haven't heard of chat GPT by now, but they should have by now, but in case you have, it's, it's basically a uh, Google on steroids, if you will, not from the standpoint of like the, it can't like pull up like current events or anything like that. You can have it do things like, like you just said, write an apology later, or other people have started using it for fun reasons. Like write a, write a, you know, an Elvis song, but in the voice of Michael Jackson or something like that. And it like does <laughs> scaring scarily accurately, like, pretty bananas so yeah. just for for context because people might be like what the heck is this what are you talking about by apology later. but from the standpoint of the way i see it is this must have been a little bit what people felt like when calculators came out like the ones that we know today where it's like you you know people used to do you know calculations with long form and carry the two and whatever and then all of a sudden there's a, a device where you could type in numbers hit the plus sign or division sign square root sign hit equals and then you get the exact answer within a second or less, that's the exact same thing. I mean, you're still doing the work. You're still having to think of the, of, of how to use the arithmetic, but the tool to get it done and process it is just helping you do it faster. That's how I see it anyway. Um, and yeah, that's I what mean, your daughter's doing, right? And that's what yeah, you did with it, the apology later.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, we've had a lot of really, we've had the agricultural age where money was made through controlling land. You have the industrial age where money was controlled and powers controlled through machinery we had the technology age, which is where we've been for the last uh, 20, 30 years, where most of the aggregated power and money comes through technology. Alvin Toffler believes the next age is, is the transformation age. And the driver for that is a lot of the work that we've been doing becomes no longer necessary. Um, and that's where you see modern monetary theory and other things. But if, if I could sit here and say, uh, send a letter to Andre outlining you know, the seven points of starting a business and it comes up and looks really good. I'm like, edit, you know, paragraph two and I send it. And I would have spent a half hour on that and I spend five minutes. And that happens repeatedly. You start getting hours of your day back, which you can either fill with more work or something else. But the theory is eventually we start to become more and more interested in, well, what's it all about? And why are we really here? And how do I transform sort of pain into pleasure and other things like that? But the transformation age will be, the people that sort of take these prior ages and build on them to solve bigger, bigger, bigger and badder problems, you know, which means maybe maybe life isn't all about working uh, 80 hours a week or, or 60 hours a week. Maybe <laughs> it should be more fun and more exploratory and, you know, uh, and whatnot. But these are, you know, these are really interesting problems and it's going to have healthcare advances and, you know, mm-hmm. AI is doing for medicine right now. Uh, incredible things uh, and you know as as covid sort of launched a lot of that in many ways and so we start solving a lot of the medical problems we live longer we live longer we got more time to figure out what it's all about
0: hey guys hope you're enjoying the episode so far i know i am i wanted to give a quick shout out to the people that make this show possible the people that bring this show to you Uh, these are people who also books and we're here to give a quick shout out to them in the spotlight Uh, about their company and what they're up to. So if you're interested or if after listening to this, you're kind of wanting to know a little bit more, feel free to click on the links below to connect with these people. Uh, These are from an excerpt I have with them from a podcast that I do on the side. It's called Executive Exercises, where we take all our sponsors and they come into a think tank and share some awesome ideas about how to grow their business specifically on different topics. Go check that out. But I pulled some of the comments that they had explaining what they do and who they're looking for on their companies. And so if that sounds like you, like I said, click below. Hope you enjoy. That's okay. And actually, and this is good to, uh, I had Nick kind of explain this a little bit too, but it's in, cause I've been in the insurance industry before for people who are listening like, how do you make 115% commission? Like,
2: the way I explain it to people is the insurance companies we represent. So we're a broker, all these companies we work with, they know they're not really going to be making any money off the sales that I make for the first several years. But they don't care right. about that. They, they know these clients are going to be on the books for 10, 15, 20, 25 years. So no, they know they're going to make money over the long haul. And so part of the reason agents are able to make so much is there's all these companies out here, and they're all competing for, for my, the broker's business, because these companies don't actually have their own in-house sales force. They have independent contractors. And so if if their compensation or their commission levels that they offer aren't competitive, I'm not going to place any business with them.
0: Hero, hero, off schedule moment, wanted to tell you about Southwestern Real Estate. They're 99% drama free, only 99, not 99.9, so it's a bit spicy, kind of like this episode. Anyway, they will learn you to kick ass at real estate, so make sure you guys click the link below, get in touch with them. Okay, back to work, bye. That'll do for now. Like I said, make sure you click below to get some more information, and now, back to the show. Now, that's brilliant, but on the side of fear, what were the people scared of in that scene? Because I'm on the side of excitement. But I understand and sympathize with the side of fear and what what do you think is the best case for that for that side of the of the room?
1: Well the, the fear side is they're gonna that thing's gonna do what I'm doing. What do you need me for? That's one of the biggest fears that you see. I mean you, you know you can see it in automated checkouts at McDonald's where you come in and put in your order and you walk over and get your your hamburger or whatever. Uh, you see it in in so many different places where you know, call centers and back offices where technology can do that work, robo advising, robo everything. Um, there's a fear that I'm going to lose my place in the world. Um, mm-hmm. And that's a that's a function of, you know, survival all about, you know, flexibility more than anything. So people that are inflexible and aren't willing to learn these new technologies and skills will ultimately be uh, much in the way the horse was replaced by the tractor, right? At some point, you know, you don't need, more horses you you know you need more tractors right and so people have got to adapt and i think you're gonna have a huge part of society that won't be able to make that transition and you're gonna have to figure out how do you take care of them because they they're here but if they can't learn they don't have the ability to retrain or whatever robots are going to become you know a major major part of our society um so all of these things create a lot of interesting moral implications for how how we how we evolve and, and grow and
0: yeah, that's that I spoke with uh I actually met uh he was here in town and we had a cocktail dinner thing with him uh, Andrew yang uh he often I mean people know him for the thousand dollars one a yeah. month thing but if but I speaking with him for several hours and just hanging out uh, I was actually talking to you probably know uh LAF Cohen he's actually working on AI here in Seattle near me I'm in Portland and so El had him here in town and I sat with Andrew and that's exactly what he talked about. He was talking about how to, cause he's that's his theory is that like, there's like, there's this in, inevitable. The AI wave is coming. It's already starting to show up and things like chap GPT and all these other, I mean, you name 10 of them, but that's his, ex, was his thing. It's like, how do we, how do we, there's people that are not going to survive the fallout of the wave. And so how do you protect these people? How do you give them something to do? Because that is what's going to happen, right? You know, you're that, that, Nothing interesting. Question. I don't know. I don't know the answers, but he was, he was giving us a lot of that. And, and maybe you're making me think of that conversation because it was just like, this is very real. Like though, no, I remember the first, that night, I was like, Oh, this is not in 10 years. This is in five years. This is going to now it's going to start happening, you know, very, but it, very soon. It,
1: it, yeah, it is as exciting to me as the internet back in the early nineties, when you started to realize that we are literally moving into a totally new age of of a possibility for stuff it's got that kind of exciting um i don't know you know a possibility to it uh that's really cool i mean you see yeah. electronic vehicles and space programs and going to mars and all that but there's just a lot of really exciting things that i think we're going to get to see in the next couple of years
0: it's going to be it's going to be exciting now do you think this is a more theory question here but because mm-hmm. i'm nerding out about this but i mean the internet the 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 exponential growth of this whole thing right because when you're talking about the agriculture to industrial to you know the technology and then uh the transformation age i mean do you think that we're going to go through like ages of civilization way faster because of this do you see that trend or do you think this is we're just every every civilization or every age felt like it was going too fast as well
1: yeah i think in the middle of it you know you know the, <laughs> there's a thought experiment that someone from, I think is, you know, what it was, 1843, if they were to be suddenly popped into today, they would, they would die. I mean, because we do in a day right now, what they did in a year back then in terms of stimulus, data and, 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 and productivity and things. And there's just no capacity to handle that. So the human isn't upgrading as fast as the technology. Yeah. So this is why the you know the doomsday clock just went to ninety <laughs> seconds away right from uh, doomsday because there's a lot of fear around the fact that you know our hindbrain, brain our reptilian minds and stuff are not adapting and adopting to these changes as quickly and as AI starts to take over you start trying to figure out I mean I I'll sometimes sit there and go how did that just happen you know like I'm going which program. <laughs> you know it, it was that jasper robot or chat gbt that did that because i've got a couple different you know things running that i'm i'm using and and that starts to happen because there are knock-on effects to one thing changing something else and so uh, you know it, it 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 can be a little daunting in terms of of keeping up with that and the problem becomes a human just doesn't keep up fast enough and then ai renders us to be the problem, which is your are back to Terminator, Terminator. Yeah. <laughs> or the Matrix. Yeah. <laughs> the Matrix. Or, or, you know, I mean, a lot of guys say, look, so, so you give a supercomputer a task to make a paperclip. It's a supercomputer and it starts making paperclips and that's all you tell it. So if you don't give it the right prompts, it eventually starts, you know, figuring out, oh, well, I could make more paperclips if I could control the NASA computers and control the other computers. And boy, if I had all the resources on the planet, I need, you know, so again, a lot of these, they're simple thought experiments, but they do. Uh, leads you to starting to think about okay so yeah you, you got to be careful what you're coding and prompting
0: and you know <laughs> the doom there was but, a guy that I, I was listening to a, a podcast with tom Segura, and they had the guy from google who was basically his job was to see if the ai was sentient or not and he was like it's sentient and he yeah. got fired i heard <laughs> that so it's, yeah. like, it's just like you start hearing some of the stuff that he had to say and you're like it's because yeah, it, I guess know. the the program he was working on was saying that you know hey what don't treat me like because his job was like to mistreat it quote unquote it's a machine so you don't mistreat a machine but he was like being quote unquote mean to it based on the language that he was giving it yeah. and at one point the computer was like hey don't 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 I mean I'll I'll do it for you but don't treat me like that and he goes yeah. whoa <laughs> yeah you know
1: in humor context those are kind of things that are difficult but I don't believe it's just a matter of time before it'll it'll figure that stuff out too
0: oh man that's cool <laughs> well cool this is fun i'm glad we're having this, yeah, this is yeah. great conversation thank you for this now uh for you and i mean there, i have a ton of more questions but i know where i want to make sure we're respectful to your time now what for you so we're looking at 2023 what's the next five ten years look like for you like what's your north star where with you know because 30 years ago it was finance and then you know a little bit of uh mortgage lending which i mean it sounds like you navigated that 08 crisis decently so lot, for you, a, as lot you a lot of life jackets yeah <laughs> yeah no kidding um and i was gonna ask you about that too but and maybe we can get into that but for you when you look in the next 10 years and where you're at now what you want to do what what's kind of the your north star
1: oh goodness um finding simply joy and fulfillment in what i'm doing you know it's like i have worked very hard and that usually meant I was doing stuff that I was interested in, but maybe didn't like. So I like it when I feel like I'm cheating, you know, like every day I get up and whatever I like, you know, I I get to do that. Um, So I think, you know, I don't know what that means in terms of like a specific path, you know, traditionally I've always been around finance technology, Uh, education, development, coaching, those kind of things have always sort of been sort of in my DNA. Right. And that was true back in the the book business. I, I liked I liked selling, but I also really loved coaching and teaching other kids how to sell. So there are certain functions, I guess, that you kind of come hardwired in. So I can't imagine they wouldn't be there. But I think my divining compass now is more towards, you know, was today a good day? You know, did I live it like it was my last to tie back into old og number five, you know, and w- would I have, you know, would I go back and say if that was the last one, would I, would I call that a pretty good day, you know, and so that it requires a little bit of discipline and I have to be careful because I get, you know, I, you know, shiny objects always really get me excited, but <laughs> um, I, I am trying to more and more just simply ask the question, you know, did, did that bring me joy? Was that something I enjoyed doing? And if so, do a hell of a lot more of it. And if not, then don't. And trust that that's going to lead me to wherever I need to be in, in five, 10, you know, I had no, I mean, I have no desire to retire. I don't know what I'd retire from. Right. I mean, what, I mean, mm-hmm. retirement is a concept for people that, you know, want to stop doing something. And my goal is to never want to retire, which means I've continued to find things that bring me joy. And why would I stop doing something that I find interesting, you know, and, So that's why when I get excited about AI, I'm like, this is exciting to me. I don't know why it's exciting, but there's something there. And if I stay with it and I learn about it and I play with it, eventually it might become a business. It might just become something that, you know, we incorporate into classrooms for students. We're doing a class in two weeks on ethics and morals and how to use AI as a student, which is something we just started putting together just to have the conversation and say, you know, don't be afraid to use it, but, you know, also don't use it, you know, in a way that's going to cut your own legs out from under you.
0: Yeah. And and I feel like universities have a problem. We're not a problem, but a challenge to figure out that specific answer to that question. It's like, at what point do you say, Hey, you can't use chat GPT and can you even tell like, or, or is it one of those things where you just like accept it and go, you know what, whatever, just get the you know, just learn the lesson.
1: Yeah. It's going to, I mean, I think again, everything is up for grabs. Our monetary system, our work, the way we work. I mean, think about COVID. Did to working at home. I'm at home right now. You know, I have a job at the University of North Carolina. I usually go in a couple of days a week now, but I don't go in five days anymore. And, and so, a lot of these con- misconceptions or conceptions are being blown up. And, and so, when you have work being challenged, and you have the monetary system itself being challenged, and you have healthcare being challenged, I mean these these are that's what makes this a really interesting kind of time to be alive because it, it creates a an opportunity for a lot of really interesting change in the next you know
0: 10 20 30 oh, hundred years you know it's gonna be wild oh my gosh I'm so it's excited. gonna be fun oh um, <laughs> yeah i'm looking forward to i'm gonna nerd out with i'll text you after this just for the next every once in a while to go did you see did you see <laughs> yeah gary that v about? just released here's what elon did with his tesla um that's wild. Um, one last question about business, and then we can go into some southwestern okay. stuff, if that's okay. Um, you've sold four businesses. You know, uh, this is the first time I've launched something on my own under my LLC. So maybe I'm asking from a personal standpoint, but maybe other people listening can relate. How did you keep from getting attached to it? Because if at, at, at some point it just feels like your baby, it's your idea, you're nurturing it. You know, just some water. Oh, tough wind. Ah, but you selling it sounds like it's kind of like sending your kids off to college or something, or the first day of kindergarten, you just, you're passing it on to other hands. How do you keep from attaching yourself to it? Or, or how do you make it that transition smoother? Like, how do you trust that the person is going to take care of it? What was that like for you? And what have you learned about that experience of letting go of something you build from scratch?
1: Yeah. I mean, I'm sure it's different for, for everybody, but for me, it was the point where another brighter future became a North star. And at that point I knew, okay, you know, whether it's been, you know, I think my first business started in, in 93 right after I left the book business and we sold at nine nine. So it was six years. So you could call it a seven year itch. But right about that time I just started, you know, I was just, I'm not excited to come in every day and do this right now. And so, Um, when an opportunity to sell came along, it was like, Ooh, if I sell, I'm going to get to learn something. And, and, you know, my, my question, if I'm ever in doubt about what to do is where am I going to learn the most? Um, and if Mm -hmm. learning the most is staying in the business that I'm in, I'll stay in that business. Um, if it's, you know, it's that first going through an IPO, I learned a lot and a lot of that has helped me, you know, to this day, um, going through that whole process. Uh, and selling the business and realizing the cycle of starting and selling and going, Oh, it's just a cycle. It's just like anything else. Right. And you start another business. There's a cycle where that can be sold again, but the timing of it varies. And often for me, it's varied by there's just something else that's more exciting. You know, like I love what I'm doing right now at, at UNC, but there could come a day where suddenly there's just something that much more exciting out there that I find more fulfilling. And at that point, that's what I'd have to ask the question. Is it time to, to sell or move on or whatever, whatever that means? But if in doubt, I'll go with where where am I gonna learn the most? Because if you if you learn more, and you know, and I'm in the big picture learning, you tend uh, to be you have more opportunities in the future. You know, you're you're expanding the possibility, not not shutting it down. And sometimes it's financial, but sometimes it's just, you know, I'm gonna learn a lot more here, regardless mm-hmm. of whether you make more money or not.
0: Now that's interesting because in Southwestern, at least when we were being taught and like this, this, all this stuff that they taught was your your five year goal plan, you know, and they, and they may think super long-term. So it sounds like you're still implementing that, but the goals, instead of you saying, Hey, in five years, I'm going to commit to, you know, being in this business, who knows, maybe you are, maybe you're not. So in, in order to still stay focused on a goal, but not attached to something that maybe isn't bringing you life is to make the goal to have, to be doing things that bring you life. It sounds it sounds like that's kind of the, the mentality.
1: Yeah. So so think of it, you know, in terms of a compass that, the, the, like, I did a lot of that kind of big picture three-year, five-year, 10-year kind of planning and stuff. And then I, I worked very hard to live into that. Um, but then you get to a point, you know, in life or career, wherever you're like, okay, if I set a new goal and I'm trying to live into that, I've created, you know, a, a boundary on what's possible. And yeah. so... At some point, I'm going to go, all right, I'm going to go on a walkabout, you know, uh, kind of an intentional um, uh, leaning forward and saying yes to whatever's being presented and just trust that whatever got me here is going to take me to my next bigger, better, interesting you know future. And the having a goal will limit me in some way. The having a big idea of what I want to do in five years from here becomes limiting because I'm generating it based on what I know. And I'm wondering if I don't generate things based on what I know, then what's possible? Because if it's what's possible and I'm generating it, it's some iteration, some variation of what I've already done. And so I'm just I think I think starting out for young people, I'm very, you know, if you want to have a goal and a specific objective, it just provides them a framework to get traction and engage. But then at some point, you also have to say to yourself, all right, if I'm going to continue simulation after simulation of the same thing, like for me, being at UNC is sort of a quantum leap from where I was because I'd been various forms of finance and mortgage and banking. And and my technology company was financial uh, uh, software and technology. So I'm still iterating right within the same thing. How do I get out of that? I had to take a year off and just, you know, just sit around and do nothing for a year and and trust that at some point something would come up. And one of my friends from college called me up and said, hey, I heard UNC is trying to do this. And they got this money from, a, you know, the form one of the founders of BlackRock and blah, blah, blah. And it had BlackRock. It had technology. It had startup. It had all the things that I was looking for. But I had to intentionally sit for a year before that appeared. If I'd acted and done anything on my own volitionally, I would have done some other iteration of what I'd already done. Right. So sometimes you almost have to stop what you're doing to create a pause for something new to emerge, whether it takes a month or a year or whatever. Um, and, and this is now that's that's sort of how I'm just kind of approaching things a little differently. Just you know, trying something new.
0: That's super awesome. I way more relate to that. Like <laughs> that I feel I feel very uh understood. <laughs> Go ahead. Go ahead. hey guys hope you're enjoying the episode so far i know i am i wanted to give a quick shout out to the people that make this show possible the people that bring this show to you uh, these are people who also books and we're here to give a quick shout out to them in the spotlight uh, about their company and what they're up to so if you're interested or if you listening to this you're kind of wanting to know a little bit more feel free to click on the links below to connect with these people uh, these are from an expert excerpt i have with them from a podcast that i do on the side it's called executive exercises where we take all our sponsors and they come into a think tank and share some awesome ideas about how to grow their business specifically on different topics go check that out but i pulled some of the comments that they had explaining what they do and who they're looking for on their companies and so if that sounds like you like i said click below hope you enjoy on on a note from a i'm trying to think like if i was if i was looking into this and and for people who listening who might be like hey this actually i want to learn more about this what's the barrier to entry like maybe i'm sitting here and i'm like man i would that sounds cool but i don't know shit about insurance like I, why would i wanted to go talk to people
2: yeah the, the barriers to entry i think are really pretty low uh everybody would probably have a different opinion but in terms to just be able to get out the door and go sell you've got to look you've got to get a license i have my life and health license because you needed the health license at family heritage or if you want to sell medicare products or certain types of health products sure. you have to have the health side but what it takes to get either one or both of those licenses, roughly the same. You take a study course. You may need to study for 15 hours. You may need to study as many as 30 hours, but like with Cardinal, we've got a, a, a pretty cool course from studying to getting your license can, can be as quick as like seven to 10 days if you really 15 to 20, if you're moving at a medium pace. And beyond that, if it takes you longer than that, you're just not really all that motivated <laughs> to start because it's yeah. not a difficult process. Yo, let's
0: get off schedule one last time. Go watch a movie, or maybe you should figure out how to work at Enlight Energy. Alex Black is crushing it down there, and a former DSM, Julio Hernandez, are both running this company. And, man, they are cranking 10 people on their team and growing. It's enough that uh, Alex only has to sell, like, one thing every other week and make over six figures. So if you want to learn more about that and maybe help change the planet, click on the link below that'll do for now like i said make sure you click below to get some more information and now back to the show well because like in southwestern you know it, you know and this uh, we just talked about this too with some of our sponsors um we have a separate podcast and like Enlight- and like uh um executive exercises as we call it and so we have all our sponsors come in it's like a think tank on a specific topic and we we're talking about goals and one of the things that people are saying you know I, I love when people say you know the smart goals and i think that's a good idea measurable and realistic and all that stuff and that's great for the people that that really motivates them. But to me, it never, ah, it never got me going. To me, what I was exciting is feeling uh, connected, feeling like I had good opportunity to connect people, networking, uh, feeling balanced. And so I started making those my goals and the stress of my life and the ability to pr- be productive completely changed, even though those aren't tangible and or measurable or by standards of metrics, you can't really, how do you like gauge how networked I am? you know? But I felt that way. And I keep feeling that way the more I do the show, and it's been a life giving thing for me this this podcast. And so I, when you when you say that, it makes me feel like, oh man, I I'm doing I'm doing okay. <laughs> so thank that, you for that. that. that That's that really
1: validating. No man, is, it is a completely. There are some kids I sit down with, I was like, this kid needs a plan. are other kids are like, dude, you do not need a plan. You are so locked in. I mean, you kind of know what you want. Just follow that. Like your operating system is those things that you were talking about that you can they're they're palpable to you right i mean you know when it, when you're in that zone and you know when you're not just like that's your business plan stay with it keep doing it and it'll lead you where you need to go and you'll develop the skills you need to learn as you you know walk that that path you know if you i think it was uh, the old joseph campbell it's like you know if you find yourself on a path it's someone else's right because they yeah. they made it so pat the paths made by walking and, you know, you got to walk your own path to know. I mean, no one can tell you if you're happy or not. Right. So, you know, what is your ultimate litmus test? And all people, they'll say, if I have enough money, I'll be happier. I have enough time, I'll be happy or whatever. And if you're fortunate enough to have enough time or enough money and go, oh, shit, that's not it. That's catching the tiger by the tail. Then you're forced. This is what the transformation economy, I think, will be all about is you're forced to then rethink what is really important mm-hmm. to me. And gosh, if I'm already happy, but it's doing this. Then isn't this just what I should be doing right now? You know, why go do all these other, you know, other things to try to create a proxy?
0: Mm, That's brilliant, and that's a great—that's a great way to operate. I mean, for people that it works that way, because some people are like, I need, you know, thirty demos a day or whatever, you know, and and they need that, and that's great. More power to them. And some days I need
1: Some days I have to get up and just say, okay. I got a list. I got 12 things I need to bang out. And you bang out those 12 things. I mean, you, yeah. you know, it doesn't, you don't throw out the baby with the bathwater. It's just, I can't walk in every day and look at a list of 12 things that, you know, drive me
0: crazy. Yeah, it just doesn't work. Yeah. I understand. Totally get it. Wow. That was great. Thank you so much for that. So yeah. wonderful. Um, okay. Let's move into some uh, Southwestern stuff. Cause of course this is the alumni podcast yeah, Tales podcast. Um, so what I'd like to do now is let's go back to 1985, maybe fall of 84. Right. And Where is Todd, uh, what part of Chapel Hill is Todd sitting at when someone comes up to him and goes, hey, what are you doing next summer?
1: I I can tell you the exact moment. I was sitting on a couch at the fraternity house and um, a guy that was a senior, Tom Truitt, if you've never interviewed Tom Truitt, you should get him on your show. He's in Nashville. He was a a Sigma Nu and he had just sold books. And he had gotten a job with Procter & Gamble. And at that particular Ooh. time in 85, they, they were like IBM and p g were the two biggies and no one was getting jobs. And Tom had gotten this job with his expense account. I managed I just remember, you know, I was like, how the hell did you get that job? He's like, I got to tell you, it was because I sold books. And I was like, what? He's like, yeah, I sold books and I made a bunch of money and but I learned to sell. And, you know, I had like multiple McNeil Labs. Well, it was just all these companies wanted to hire him. And I'm like, oh, I don't want to be. The guy over here crying with the bong right now, I want to (laughs) be, you know, I want to be Tom, right? And so he was graduating and uh, I said, you know, how do I learn more? And he said, talk to, he gave me the name of a couple of the guys in the fraternity that were thinking about selling that had sold once before. And I started talking to him. So I kind of leaned into it a little bit um, because I wanted to know how he did what he did. You know, that was fascinating to me at that time in my life.
0: And then you went to the informational session, or you talked to whoever, and then oh, you heard Craig about the Soder, man, Craig, yeah, yeah, they said come. Oh, there
1: it is, yeah. Big Craig was sitting there, <laughs> you know, with his with his leg cocked back in his chair, and his you know pen, and he started, oh, you know, and started talking to me, and I mean, it, literally, I was like, okay, cool, I'll, you know, sign me I'm up. In. you know, I'm in, <laughs> you know, and then I sent the you know letter of credit home to my parents, and they were like, what the what the hell are you doing we sent you to college and now you're going to go become a door-to-door salesman and so you know they were my first big big obstacle
0: there now i i, I want to ask this because sometimes this is a different answer now the, the when you first talked, to tom He's, you know, you're you're seeing the opportunity. You're seeing the end results. You're seeing uh doors opening because of the experience, the resume building, all that stuff. Was there anything else that really attracted you besides that? Like more maybe deeper when you talked to Craig. Like for example, for me, you know, if, if they started out with oh, going to New York, I've always wanted to go to New York and making money and all that stuff, and all that sounded great. That's what got me to the info. But after that, I got done hearing about it, to me, it was that challenge. I was like, I, I my as an immigrant, my I've had to deal with my parents' choices to do hard things so we can get here. But this is the first time I get to choose for me to do something hard. And that was like my why. Did you have something similar, or was it still just the the resume builder? Well, I mean, I was
1: a simple creature. I wanted to make money. I was a first generation <laughs> kid. My you know, my mom and dad didn't go to college. They, you know, I was the first ever in our whole familiar generational background to ever go to college. And so they couldn't help me. they couldn't help me in terms of understanding what college could be like. But, you know, my dad was an electrician for Duke Power. So, you know, not having a college degree, he just he would always impress upon me that, you know, he was limited in what he could do with a high school degree. Right. And so and limited meaning I can only make so much money. And when I sat down with Craig, he's like, look, you can make as much money as you want. As you work as hard as you want. Work hard, study hard, be teachable and you'll make a lot of money. I'm like, I can do that. You know, so it was pretty, you know. <laughs> He said you you can make five thousand dollars this summer, and I had been a tennis pro for like the last several summers at, at our club growing up, and I, they paid me six seven bucks an hour. I'm like, I did the math. I'm like, there's no way I can make that kind of money. So it was pretty simple. I was I was a simple creature. I just wanted to go. It made sense. Grind to <laughs> make money. Yep.
0: So where when you get to when you get out there, where did you go to sell? Where for Texas. summer. Paris, Texas. Tex- oh my, they have one. Paris, okay. Texas. Texas. Te- Texas has one. And I heard they have the audacity to also have an Eiffel Tower in the middle of that town. Is that correct? Well, and, and they have the
1: record for the largest tornado and the longest it's, it, was, it was the widest tornado in recorded history and it stayed on the ground for the longest and there was three plus miles. It was just one neighborhood it was three miles long and it was about 20 streets wide and it, it was the path of the The tornado. And so it was like famous for this tornado and and the factories there, but it was a, you know, it was a mill town, you know, lower income
0: kind of a place. And that's some good territory. That's some good territory. territory. No big, what did you? I always like to explain, I always like to ask first store, or it doesn't have to be exact, but what do you remember of like the first, right? Your first store, first customer. Do you remember any of those things? The first time you talked to a human, the first time somebody bought, you're like, it works or something like that. Oh, good
1: Lord. I blocked most all that out. Um,
0: <laughs>
1: you know. uh, I would
0: too, honestly. So your, your brain's eat. just trying to go, don't
1: go there. Don't go there. No, I mean, I can remember this little diner that we were at and I remember the woman and she was a single divorced mom and she had three dachshunds and a above ground pool in the back of her little tiny brick ranch. And, um, I was there with a couple of, uh, people that I met in sales school. And, you know, we had, you know, we had a good first summer, We worked our asses off and it was hot as hell and the mosquitoes were horrible and it rained. It seemed like every day for three hours, just enough (laughs) to keep the humidity at 400%. And, um, but you know, I hated it. I mean, I literally. I don't think I've ever hated anything as much as I hated uh, uh, selling books. You know, to this so day. He said, "Let's go back for six more." <laughs> no, I no, I was never going back again. There's no way in hell I was going back, man. Uh, <laughs> I made like I made like seventy eight hundred dollars my first summer. I was like, that's good. I can get. I, I'd already done the budget to get me through my four summers, and there's no way in hell I was going back. And then I wrecked my car like three weeks before sales school and it was going to cost like $3,800 to fix it. Cause it was my fault. And I, I had uh, uh, the collision uh, on that car. I didn't have the other stuff. And so I was like, damn it, I'm going to have to go sell books.
0: And, and, and then it, back you went
1: <laughs> and I went back again and then ended up in <laughs> Independence, independence, Missouri. And then I got addicted to making a, Good living and having fun during the school year, traveling and, you know, living kind of large. I was like, dang it. My lifestyle sort of got upgraded in a way that, you know, my parents weren't going to send me 10, 15 grand a year to have in college. So I kind of, again, I was a simple creature at the time. I I just wanted to make money and have
0: fun. So did you, oh man, that's so funny. I, this is, (laughs) so was it the sizzler trip that got, I mean, the, the lifestyle that got you in the lifestyle or? Like was there what, what the the mentorship? I mean, you talked about that where the college kids now appreciate mentorship. What 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 kept you around the most besides the money? Oh, um, well, Craig's Craig was a you know,
1: you know, he drove me crazy, but he was such a good teacher. You know, he really was, and he and he really did care. And I always learned stuff when I was with him. You know, as much as I tried not to, he would somehow. You know, he'd tell a story or he'd he'd send me something or whatever, and I'd be like, "dang, that's pretty interesting. you know I mean, the books I read, you know, that he sent me were like, you know, my friends weren't reading those books. and so i, I would say I, I kind of came for the money and probably stayed for the mentorship and the and the camaraderie. It was an entirely different ecosystem of friends that i that yeah. I had that were not at my college that were all over the country that I still keep up with today, and that that, yeah. that that's pretty cool.
0: It still is, right? I mean, that's kind of the nature of this podcast where yeah. there's something about, I mean, heck, I met you an hour and a half ago, right? And, and now I'm looking at it going, dang, this is this is pretty wild. This is pretty cool. Wow. Um, amazing. And you're you got about eight minutes left, right? Before you get to yeah. hop off. Yeah. Okay. I'll do I'm gonna do a quick uh rapid fire questions to get to and then we'll do a quick ponytail and get out of here. How does that sound? Sounds good. Cool, cool. So rapid fire questions. Um, and you know we don't have to go into too much detail of these, but um, what was your favorite turf of all the eight? Uh, yeah, seven summers that you sold. Favorite like territory? I would say uh, Wisconsin,
1: Appleton, Wisconsin. Kind of a college town. It was it was cooler in the summers.
0: I enjoyed Appleton. Love it. A lot of people say Wisconsin. Favorite HQ?
1: Oh gosh, it. Uh, you know, it was probably strangely my second summer both my roommates left they were padding all their stuff and I had to fire them and send them home but it was uh, it was at a pool house in Texarkana Arkansas I the guy said you can stay here but you got to clean up my pool house and we cleaned it all out and it was just like every night coming back from work and we were living on cots in a pool house but it was this doctor's house out in the country and he had this nice pool and just being able to you know come in after a hard day jump in the pool chill out It was, it was a nice, it was a nice HQ. And strangely, when they all left, I was like, I had it all to myself and, you know, having a whole course myself ended up being a pretty, pretty cool thing.
0: Wonderful. And then the last one, favorite breakfast spot.
1: Oh my gosh. We went to so many, we we always found diners. I I really enjoyed the diners because you found people that were always there and you got to know them (laughs) over the summer. And so, you know, that was, it was always kind of fun, you know, finding an old diner.
0: My second summer, I was with my brother and best friend, and we got the, the the waiter to do execs with us at the end of the summer. That's pretty pretty special. <laughs> so those are the rapid fire questions. All right. So we'll uh, we'll close it up with here with the last few minutes. Um, do you normally we ask for the ponytails? People don't know if this is your first episode, it's typically our guests' favorite memory, story. Um, or anything significant that they remember. Maybe it could have been a specific customer, or a day, or anything like that. But it's up to it's up to our guests to decide how what they want to share at this point. Um, I'll leave it up to you, Todd. If you want to tell us anything that rings a bell or any closing thoughts on on southwestern, anything like that, this is your ponytails.
1: Wow! Oh God, over seven summers. Um, <laughs> you travel. know, man, so many things. I, you know, when when I th- I thought about. I don't know why I just thought of this when we were talking about that second summer in Independence, Missouri. But the house that we stayed in, uh, I don't know what it was about me and my roommates, but same thing. By the third week, they both quit and gone home. So I was I was staying in this house with his family in Independence, Missouri. I was by myself. Raymond was the, the guy that lived there. He worked at GM. He worked the night shift. So he would get in uh, from work about 536 every morning, uh, you know, 630, about the time I was waking up, They had no showers in the house. So I was living in the basement and there was a bathtub there and there's a bathtub upstairs um, and sometimes the bathtub downstairs didn't work. But I mean, taking a cold bath as opposed to a cold (laughs) shower was just absolutely (laughs) brutal in the morning. But I remember sitting in this tub is kind of and I would put the cold water in there because I was trying to, you know, I was trying to do my my part. And Raymond, these, these were simple. You know, he's a, he's a night shift worker, gym factory worker, He's got a big family. His wife didn't work. So to supplement their food budget, they had they raised rabbits and they had literally like 10 pens of rabbits behind right behind the house. And so Raymond's sort of thing was when he came home from the factory at GM, every night the first thing he did is he went out to the hutch. He reached in there. He would grab a rabbit. He had a hammer. A thwack, you know. And <laughs> then and then I hear a, you know, like that. And he and he would then I hear a boop. And he threw it in the basket. And so I would sit there every morning in this tub, <laughs> with cold water in the basement of this house in Missouri. And the first thing I would hear, invariably the timing was perfect, was him coming, getting his rabbits and doing his daily ritual because everything they fixed. It was rabbit stew. It was rabbit. And that was like their meat. And I don't know why that story popped up, but it was that kind of crazy stuff that happened again (laughs) and again and again uh, on, on the book field. And, you know. It's 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 priceless. It's disturbing. It's all the kind of things that you know you would expect from, you know, seven years of, of of rummaging around out there on the, on the book field. But that one just came to mind. I could probably give you fifty more. But that's, do, you, that's
0: do you ever look at rabbits the same? Like when you see a rabbit, you're like, I, well, I, this, I cannot. Do you do you I cannot. get goosebumps. Or you get cold goosebumps. My daughter wanted
1: a rabbit one time. I'm like, No, we cannot have a <laughs> rabbit. I mean, you know, it's and. And th- they had five cats that, that stayed in the basement. And I was allergic to cats, but I couldn't do anything about it. And they liked to sleep on me at night. So I had night tears because I would wake up in the middle of the night and there'd be three cats on my chest. just. And he was like, I'd wake up because of the breathing. I could have a trouble breathing, not from just the allergies, but the fact that there were three cats on my chest sitting there just enjoying the ride. And I'd have to scare them off. And they, I mean, yeah, it's like these things are kind of absolutely... No, but today again I get up every day and I say, you know, I'm not selling books today. And that that <laughs> makes everything else easier. Well, it
0: makes- it's perspective, right? It's yeah, all about absolutely. perspective. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Todd, thank you so much. That was wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, we'll wrap this one up here, guys. Thank you so much for listening in. If you guys have questions for Todd, you can go find him on his LinkedIn, uh, in the, the, the link of which will be in the description. notes below. If you're watching it on YouTube, it's down in down the description of the video. Uh, thank you guys so much for listening. Make sure you guys sign up for Bizler. We'll see you guys on the next one. I'm Andres Gamboa. Goodbye.